long it's been there and all the, you know, architectural and archaeological and this, that, and the other. But at the time, of course, it was the middle of a really busy city. And being Jerusalem, I'm picturing the scene stony, because it is, and boiling. And hooray for covered colonnades when you're lay lying there all day. So I imagine that some people maybe were lying by the water, other people were backed against the wall under the covered colonnades, and it must have been a scene of real desperation. Because the people had gathered there because just very occasionally, we don't know how frequently, um, and we don't know what this phrase means. It says, an angel came and stirred up the waters, and when that happened, one person got healed, whoever got to the water first. And so you can imagine the gathering of people who were there. It says in terms, some were blind, and imagine, and some were lame, some were paralyzed. Imagine the different things that were going on. The blind people couldn't see that the water was stirred, but they were physically able to get there if only they knew that it was just beginning to stir. The lame people can see that it's stirring, but they have a problem getting up and getting there. I reckon the best thing to be would be deaf because you could see it and you could get there, but we don't know. The fact is, illness is obviously rife in that community and the desperate people are lying there and the atmosphere around there must have been extraordinary because there is huge amounts of need and there's huge amounts of desperation but there's also a bit of hope because you never know today might be the day when the waters stir and I've got my cousin Joe with me and he's strong so he might get me to the edge and I might be the one who gets in next. And so this must have been the most amazing place to be with a sort of bright hope in people's hearts maybe. But there is one guy here that we concentrate on and he has been paralyzed for 38 years. Now, there are some people here under 38, and it is hard to imagine that for longer than you've been alive, this poor guy was paralyzed. That is desperate. I remember going to a party and meeting a girl who had ME, uh, where you get knocked sideways by total exhaustion, and she had been bedridden for 19 years. And the wonderful thing is she had got better and she was making up for lost time uh, by pinging around the Cotswolds with a black Labrador and digging herself a fantastic herbaceous border. And she'd taken up, I think it was samba or some sort of dancing. And the the delight that she was feeling, she, she said, even domestic things, I just like being able to move around at home. I can put my own washing in. You know, that must have worn off as an excitement after a while. But anyway... The fact is, she found, and wouldn't you, 19 years of being bedridden incredibly hard. This guy was ill for double that. Oh my goodness, one can't quite imagine. I had ME for a while. It was only two and a half years, in fact. And I heard from this girl about a course, the course that she had gone on, which had enabled her to get better. And so I wrote off for details as well. And I got the application form. And the application form, as part of it, apart from all the medical stuff you had to fill in, there was a little thing which said, if you got better, are there 10 things that you would like to do, to take up or do, that you can't at the moment do? And I had a, gosh, I had a list. Yes, I'd buy a golden retriever and chain it, uh, and, and train it. 
I've done the golden retriever training, not so good. Uh, whatever. Uh, yes, I would do this. Yes, I would do that. I would love to do all these things. And I reckon that what was happening with that application form was that they were asking me the question that Jesus asked this guy. Do you see? In verse 6, Jesus saw this bloke lying there, and he learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, and he asked him what may on the surface of it seem a pretty funny question. Do you want to get well? And I think that's what the application form was asking me. Because actually, it is all too easy with long-term illness to acclimatize to it, actually. Although it's unwelcome, nevertheless, it becomes, it can become, the one thing that defines your life. And you can regard yourself as, I am now an invalid. I am not, you know, a musician who happens to be ill or a dad who happens to be ill. I am now an invalid. It's what I've got. It's this condition. And it's the number one thing that defines who you are. And maybe, and after 38 years, who could blame him? It was like that for this guy. And so Jesus was asking a very piercing question. Do you really want to get well? And of course, uh, we... I don't want to minimize what it must have been like for him. Really incredibly hard. In those days, obviously, no NHS, no times came when the water was stirred and he suddenly needed to move. He had nobody to help him, as obviously others did. And actually the same applies to other burdens that people carry. 38 years of depression. 38 years of unemployment. 38 years of longing to be married or of memories of abuse. People carry very, very long-term burdens and they can utterly dominate our lives and surround us just as those colonnades did boxing the people in round the pool of Bethesda and we feel we can't move away from that area of pain and burden that we are carrying, just as this bloke couldn't move from his paralysis. Now, of course, we know that this story is just about one particular bloke, but it does say that there were a great number of disabled people, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed, and we can imagine Jesus walking among them. Now, we know that Jesus was compassionate, and so he must have looked at them kindly, he will have looked at each one lovingly, at each of their faces, and probably at their bodies too, looking at what was going on with them and why were they were there. But why do you think that he chose this particular guy? Now, it may be that part of us would like to think that he chose this guy because in some way this bloke was a better person. And so there was some sort of reward for being... You know, the nice one who was lying there. But actually, the Bible really doesn't allow us to give the bloke himself any credit at all. This is all about God's sovereignty, Jesus's grace. It's not about Jesus picking the nice ones among us to bless and leaving the rest of us who live slightly dodgy lives, slightly, oh dear, Hope I don't die at the end of that particular Tuesday because I really did let myself down there, which is most of us. No, it's not like that. 
So when Jesus asks him this question, does he give a wonderful faith-filled answer? Now that you're here, I'm perfectly sure I'll get better. No, he does not. He gives rather a downbeat answer, really. Do you want to get well? He says, sir, I've no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else always gets down ahead of me. He sounds at least downbeat, possibly resentful, definitely self-pitying. Not a great example of faith or anything like that. And yet, and yet... We're looking at him and we're thinking the main thing about him is that his body was paralyzed. And I think this tells us that because of the 38 years, we can reasonably say it sounds as if his will was somewhat paralyzed as well. He is lying there feeling under his condition. It's not my fault. It's my circumstances. You, anybody would find it this hard. It's my background. It's my parents. It's my legs. It's anything, but it's not my fault. And as ever, Jesus goes right to the heart of the situation in response. In eight words, Jesus gives three commands. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Do you notice he doesn't give the man any help with any of those. And yet he knew that all three commands were humanly, physically impossible. So I think Jesus is going to the heart of the situation by testing his will even more than he is testing his legs. He's saying, he's giving a command and he is saying, will you obey? Will you respond? And in typical biblical form, the utterly wonderful is expressed so simply. It just says, at once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. So how can we identify with anyone in this story? In direct terms, things seem very different for us. Thank goodness no one in the UK today ought to be able to go 38 years without any support. However, in our own ways, there are ways that we can be just like those people round the pool of Bethesda. We too can feel that when it came to advantages, somehow other people got in first and we missed out. It may be that there are some here for whom the word disappointment is a very, very significant one. It may be that there is one thing in your life for which you have hoped and hoped, at first with passion and focus, and then maybe with growing sadness and disillusionment, but still clinging on, and maybe now a sense that it's not going to happen. And although maybe you have come to some level of acceptance, the fact is, it still hurts. There is still that disappointment, and it is unresolved, and you're yearning about it. And the difficulty that can arise from that is not just the pain itself, and that yearning, and that unfulfilled hope, that disappointment, 
But also that for some of us, because of that, that whole area has become something that you can't talk to God about. Because you don't really know how to express yourself without coming close to some conclusions that are really painful. Don't you really believe that Jesus is kind? Well, yes, we know he is. Doesn't he know my situation? Yes, we know he does. So why hasn't he answered my prayer? So we don't talk to him because we don't want to come to either conclusion that either God isn't loving or that we're not important to him. And therefore, because both of those are absolutely agonizing, we can end up backing off from God in an area of life which is so important to us. And there are buried feelings, therefore, that we haven't brought to Jesus. Now, on the outside, many of us are busy, and we can't even be happy in many ways. But if there is a key part of us that is stuck, like those people inside that colonnade, if you like, like the people in today's story, then we have something with which we can identify here. Why am I stuck? And is it possible that Jesus will walk by me? And will he choose me? Or, as usual, will there be other people who see answers to prayer, but I won't? And that can leave us feeling really passive, just as it were, lying there. But that can happen to one sort of temperament of people. And of course, you can respond to hard times in a completely different way. And probably some of these were of a different temperament. And uh, if you're more activist, then there may be one thing which you regard as the solution for whatever the problem is in life. And you are really motivated to do that thing, whatever it might be. And maybe there are some people, it's, I am going to be the one who gets into those stirred waters. Nothing is going to prevent me. I don't know when it's going to happen, but oh boy, I am ready. And maybe you're the sort of person who is really concentrating with activity and focus on a solution which you've come up with, which you think will make life get sorted. If only it could happen. And if it's down to me, then I'll get it solved. But not everything that's going on in our lives can just be sorted by our deciding that it would be good if it were. Of course we can have those longings. If only I could get married. If only I could have that baby. If only I could get moved to a different office. If only I could get out of whatever the situation might be. So maybe that's what you're putting all your time and effort into, and it can be all-consuming. Now, as I've said, that's two totally different responses, one passive, one very activist to a desperate situation. But here at the Pool of Bethesda, it would just have been same old, same old by this pool with everybody lying around. I imagine there was lots of banter. I imagine also there was a fair amount of bad feeling between people and that assessing each other as to who looks more likely to get in next time. But we wouldn't have heard of it uh, if it wasn't for verse 17 where we get the key thing. Jesus says, I am working. That's the key thing, is that that day, Jesus 
came by. And he didn't just come by dispensing sympathy. I don't know people here very well yet, but I am sure you are all perfectly lovely people. And if you had gone to the Pool of Bethesda, you and you had walked about among people, you would all have said lovely, sympathetic things, and so would I. We would go around saying, oh no, poor you, that's so hard. <gasps> Eleven years, really? Oh, you poor, but oh no. What's happened to your ankle? It's enormous. Oh, you poor, oh no. Oh, and we would be sympathetic, all the, wouldn't we? Of course we would. Jesus doesn't seem to go around doing the pastoral bit, patting people on the head. Absolutely not. Oh my goodness. He comes to this place of pain, and he's not just dispensing sympathy. He says, funny word, I am working. And he says that his heavenly father is working. He is there to make a difference. And he does. When Jesus saw the man's need and he heard how long he'd suffered, he commanded change. And as he obeyed, the man found that healing was the natural result. Now we know that Jesus does not heal everybody. We saw that last Sunday. But when Jesus chooses and his power is there for healing... The response of the man enabled him to have his will, first of all, unparalyzed, if you like, because he did what Jesus said. He got up, he picked up his mat, and he walked. Absolutely glorious to see. And imagine what his friend... Well, no, let's not imagine how the other people felt. Um, But, oh, fantastic thing happened. Now... Jesus spoke to his will, and he enabled him to decide that he would obey. He spoke to him physically, of course, and said, get up. And when he obeyed, he found he could. And we see other examples in the um, Gospels of Jesus doing that. He gives a command, and if you take him at his word, which is a phrase from last week's reading as well, you find that what was previously impossible becomes possible. Think of Peter walking on the water. He's in the boat. Jesus is walking on the water. And Peter says, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. A one-word command. Come. And that makes it possible because he takes Jesus at his word. Just what happens here. And Jesus is still looking for faith and obedience among his people. There are millions of people losing hope in their lives. But we don't need to be among them. Not because of us. Not because we are more resilient or more obedient or more morally magnificent in any way. This is about him. Jesus is the one who is all loving and all powerful. And he is looking around to see who will respond to his word of powerful command. Who will take his word seriously and obey. And the two patterns can both be broken. Neither misery and passivity, nor desperately focused activity, have brought us joy or freedom. So let's look up from those. Let's look to Jesus and grab hold of the fact that he has walked into our situation, and he is working, and he is proclaiming change. So, like this guy, let's make a decision to respond, and let's follow through. 
Now, that might have been the end of the story, and a very good story it would have been, but we get a fascinating second chapter to this. Having been healed, the guy runs into trouble. And that actually can be our experience too. Maybe you know that. You have a real high with God. You go away to new wine and it's absolutely wonderful and you feel you are three times as spiritual as you were the week before. Or you have a glorious experience in worship or some sort of real encounter with God. And then you come down with a real bump. And here we come in verse 10 to a slightly surreal bit of the story in a way. Or at least it's surreal to us. Because the Jewish leader's culture is so foreign to us that to us it seems an almost laughably inappropriate response. This guy, who has been disabled for 38 years, has been healed. I imagine it was incredibly dramatic for everybody around there. And he is presumably upright and trying out his moves and dancing a bit and shrieking a bit. He's a Middle Eastern man, for goodness sake. They don't tend to be discreet and British about these things. He'll be shrieking and yelling, and so will all his friends. And he'll be dancing about and maybe crying a bit or laughing a bit or who knows. Anyway, loads going on. And what do the Jewish leaders who come by say? They say, you can't carry your mat on a Saturday. What? How is that the most appropriate thing to say to somebody who's just been healed after 38 years? I can't even work out how it's in the top 100 most appropriate things to say. But it was the law. And the law was the way to be right with God. So actually, from their point of view, it was a very important thing to say, because there's nothing more important than being right with God. And his response is really interesting, because the bloke is not very clued up, I think it'd be fair to say, and so without knowing it, he actually gives an incredibly significant and accurate answer, because he appeals to a higher authority than the law. He says, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So in other words, obedience to Jesus trumps all other obedience. And that is the true way to be right with God. I love the detail in this story. It says the Jewish leaders um, demanded to know who could possibly be making such huge claims for himself as to be giving an alternative command from the law. But the guy doesn't have any idea because Jesus has disappeared into the crowds. All he knows is that obeying Jesus works. But then later, this guy had a rather unsettling second encounter with Jesus. And there is a sobering warning in here for us. Jesus found him at the temple and he said, see, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, we don't know what Jesus is referring to. It's possible that the man's condition had arisen from some sort of sin pattern from 38 years before. Or it's possible that Jesus is referring um, to, uh, and so Jesus would in that case be saying, don't go back to your old ways, otherwise it'll, it'll happen again. Or he may be talking about his spiritual position. But actually, Jesus talks about it in the present tense, stop sinning. And Jesus says the same to us too. Somehow, even when we've known real change through Jesus, we can slip back into our old ways. 
It seems almost, I think, incredible to us that somebody who's had this sort of healing could possibly be anything other than the most enormous Jesus fan. But actually, later, we see him dobbing Jesus in and going to the authorities and saying, oh, it was him. So actually, his attitude is fundamentally wrong. And that's really worrying, isn't it? And we can be like that. We would like to think that if Jesus walked in, we'd respond brilliantly, and we always would. But I don't know about you, I make spiritual resolutions, and I don't always manage to follow them through. I'm disappointed in myself, and I don't have that high standards. And I'm really sorry to think of how I don't follow through on how Jesus tells me to to live. Now, I was thinking, what sins can a paralyzed man commit? He can't really shoplift. And committing murder would be hard. Pretty difficult to commit adultery. He's just lying there. So what sins would he have been committing? Well, I would imagine probably envy, possibly resentment, definitely self-pity. I would imagine passivity and, as far as we can see, unbelief. Now, we may not be shoplifting, we may not be murdering or committing adultery, but we can fall into those other things pretty easily, can't we? And Jesus says to him, and he says to us, if you've had an encounter with me, follow through. Don't just always tell the story of that one high point. You need to keep walking with me. Make choices that take you onwards with me towards God. This is a very serious matter. Now we see that the man didn't do what he should have done, and sometimes we don't either. And um, we have known, and one particular church I'm thinking of, there was a bloke with the most incredibly serious neurological condition, and he was very nearly completely paralyzed, and it completely dominated his family's life. It was absolutely unspeakable, and he was miraculously healed through prayer. Um, over one night and um, he was prayed for in, on one evening by a pastor who had almost never prayed for anybody for healing before and um, the pastor and, and nothing happened and um, so the pastor thought that pastorally speaking he ought to go back the following morning to apologize <laughs> faith filled isn't it and um, because he had sort of raised his hopes he thought and he would go back the following day to say I'm awfully sorry you know that nothing happened but you know Jesus loves you anyway and he went round and one of the kids teenagers answered the door and he said I've come to see your dad and he said oh dad's not in dad's not in you know I mean dad had to be in because the poor bloke wasn't able to do anything else no he's gone to the football game what? And the bloke had been healed overnight of this neurological condition. Absolutely incredible. But may I tell you the more incredible thing? He was so offended that he left the church. I can't get my head around that. I really can't. He didn't follow through at all. He was upset with having been prayed for. He was upset with being well. I, I don't know enough detail to know how that is possible. And we would probably say, I would never do that. But actually, these things can happen. It can happen too in marriages, in moral things. People can repent in tears and seem to really mean that they honestly didn't mean that to happen. And then they return to their old ways. It can happen, can't it? 
But if we follow through with Jesus, will life be simple and joyful after that? I have to be realistic. No, not if we, fo- if we follow our master. As we come to the end, we see that it doesn't have the happiest ending. In verse 16, we see that from then on, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. And then in verse 18, for this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him because he was breaking the Sabbath and because he was claiming to be God. This is the first bit of opposition we see in John's Gospel. And it seems extraordinary that Jesus, who helped and healed people, could be so unpopular. But of course, he was coming against their traditions. That, that's bound to appall them. But most importantly, by saying what he said in uh, verse 17, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. In verse 18, it's explained to us that to their ears, quite clearly, he is claiming to be God. Now, that was utterly blasphemous and sacrilegious. But to those of us who are Christians, it is the center of our joy. It is the ground of our security. It is the center of our lives. And so, as we come to the conclusion, let's just picture ourselves at that pool of Bethesda. We can admit that every one of us is not completely healthy spiritually, So we can imagine ourselves lying there, as it were, needing Jesus' touch, needing healing. But we don't have to sit with our problems, hoping for some random occurrence to make a difference in our lives. To each one of us, Jesus says, get up, be saved, pick up your responsibilities, and walk with me. If you have ever responded to the Lord Jesus Christ as he stopped by you, then you will know that he is God. But if you're in any doubt about that today, then hear his words. Today is the day of salvation. This was a wonderful, one-off opportunity as Jesus walked by. Now is the day of salvation. Look up at him as this man did and respond to his words. Or if you are already a Christian, but if this has reminded you that there is perhaps in you a remainder of passivity, a remainder of disappointment, some area of life where you haven't fully connected with Jesus about it, then know that you have been saved from all that. So gird up your will and make a decision for change. Maybe today might be a day when you decide to go for prayer ministry and it's not something you usually do. Decide that before you walk out through the door, you'll actually grasp that opportunity. If that will nudge you forwards, be courageous and do it. Whoever you are, Jesus says, I am working. So let him work in you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you know us on every level. You do know our physical needs. You also know our emotional needs. You know our spiritual needs. And we are so grateful for your love and your power.
and that you can come and bring salvation and bring change. And you can give us the will to obey you. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that we will give you pleasure as we respond to you, as we say yes to whatever words of comfort or of challenge you are bringing to us this morning. We pray that we would be able increasingly to show your glory in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.